bold vision, inspirational leadership, drive, determination, creativity. Welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success, a podcast where we talk to innovators and thought leaders in the staffing industry to discover the strategies and tactics that make these top performers stand out. And here are your hosts, the co-CEOs of Haley Marketing, Victoria Kenward and David Cerns. The power of communication. Be all that you say you are. Stay focused. Today on Secrets of Staffing Success, we're chatting with John Thomas, a longtime staffing industry veteran who you'll frequently find sharing his wisdom on ASA Central. John has spent the past 38 years in our business, and he's currently a professional developer for the Specialized Recruiting Group of Express Professionals. That's a mouthful, and he'll explain what that all means during today's show. He's also going to share three powerful pieces of advice designed to help every staffing professional to become more effective and more successful in our industry. Secrets of Staffing Success is brought to you by Haley Marketing. As a listener to this podcast, you're probably looking for ideas to drive sales, improve recruiting, and help grow your staffing business. Just in case you didn't know, Haley Marketing offers a ton of additional educational resources to help you succeed. On our website, our new website, HaleyMarketing.com, you'll find ebooks, checklists for marketing, recruiting, and business strategy, and hundreds of blog posts on everything related to marketing, sales, and recruiting. If you like webinars, check out lunchwithhaley.com, where you'll find more than a decade of recorded webinars on just about every topic you can imagine related to sales, recruiting, and marketing. And we're an accredited trainer for the American Staffing Association, so you can get continuing education credits just for watching. And lastly, we recently added a new series of short format webinars called Snack Time, that present critical marketing tips in five to eight minute clips. So if you've got a few minutes of downtime and you'd like to learn something new, check out Snack Time at lunchwithhaley.com. Now let's get on with the show. Long time in this industry, and he's probably going to blush when I say this, but he's really one of my favorite people to work with in the industry. Uh, wealth of information and just a great person. So I'm really excited to have John chatting with us on the show today. Yeah, I'm excited to meet John and to have a discussion and get to know him. So should we get started? Absolutely. So let us introduce John Thomas, who's in charge of professional development for the specialized recruiting group of Express Professionals Company. John, welcome to the Secrets of Staffing Success. Hey, thank you, David. Thank you, Victoria. Man, that's, that's way too kind <laughs> that I'm your favorite. I mean, there are so many people we could have favorites of. But I'll throw it right back at you, David, because when it comes to sales and marketing and looking at cutting edge and what's what really is going on in our space, you are my guy. So you're my favorite when it comes to that. Oh, thank you. And so uh, it, it goes both ways. Oh, so my, what am I doing here today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're cutting into our bromance here. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, before, we, before we get into everything, I have to tell you, John, you have been one of my favorite examples of using Twitter for sales of all time. So I don't know if you remember this. It was at an executive forum um, back when you were with Next Step. Oh, wow. And 
we were going back and forth and both of us were like live tweeting about things. And you, we try, I tried to reach out to you with a direct message to schedule a meeting and then we couldn't meet. And then I tried to reach out a second time. And again, I, I just saw you tweeting in one of the events I was in. And I said, oh, you're here. Let's get together. And you said, David, you should be paying attention to the speaker. And by the way, I'm sitting right behind you. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> That was my favorite example. I've used it for years of, of using Twitter for direct selling and uh, how effective it can be. But speaking of selling, tell us a more about your role at Express. So it's really unique. You know, Express Employment Professionals, we, uh, we're about 850 franchise locations worldwide. And then inside of our organization, we have a, a company that's called the Specialized Recruiting Group, or I should say a division of Express. So we're an Express Employment Professionals company known as the Specialized Recruiting Group. And there's about 120 or so of those locations. I, I focus on the central part of the country, helping them build their professional contract and a direct hire business, primarily like accounting, finance, engineering, IT, HR, sales, you know, what you typically think of as professional roles. And then I also oversee our direct hire practice for the company. So I'm our subject matter expert when it comes to direct hire for all things uh, express. So is your role to sell the service to current franchisees, to train them how to implement it? What, what do you do for them? I, I'm really a coach, trainer, mentor, you know, helping the franchisees grow their business. So today I, I, I place people through other people. So I get, I get to coach and mentor and train them up so they can make the placements. Awesome. So a little background. Um, how long have you been in the staffing industry? And I know you told me this in advance and I was sort of shocked at the number because again, flattering you, you, you don't look, you don't look like you could possibly been in the industry this many years, but how long have you been doing this? Uh, I am in my 38th year of staffing. No, you do not look old enough to be in the staff. What did you start when you were like five? Well, you know, they, they didn't have child labor laws back in the day, I you see. know, so you could go to school during the day and then work in the evening, you know? So yeah, every year I do this, I keep going. I'm, I'm training, coaching people and they're like, yeah, I was born in 1991. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I started the business in 1982. So it's like, okay. <laughs> There's nothing worse. <laughs> What were you going to say, David? I'm sorry. No, you're just going to kind of jump in. I know one of the things that you wanted to talk to us about, John, was uh, something that we haven't been discussing on the show at all. And that's uh, one of those basic soft skills, the power of effective communication. So why is this so important to you? You know, I, communication has always been a big thing. My, my wife, and we've been married 38 years, and um, she always tells me communication, key to marriage. And I go, no, communication, key to life. And especially in this last year, when you think about all that we went through with COVID, that if you didn't have effective communication and effective not being just your voice and your ability to talk, but your written communication, your presentation communication, now, quite frankly, your technical communication, how well do you use Zoom and Teams and all the other platforms coming out there? you've got to be able to communicate and reach your audience in ways that you've not been able to reach them before. So one of it is a reach, but the other piece that is salespeople and especially in staffing, the art of listening, 
because I've been told for years, again, I'll use a marriage analogy. My wife says, you heard me, but you didn't listen to me. <laughs> they can't yeah. want to hear anything here. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and how many times do we do that? We hear our client and we heard them, but we did, did we really listen to them? Because the way we either communicated with them or didn't, or what we provided them didn't match what they were actually telling us. So that, that effective art of listening and then the ability to connect with them and the methods of which they want to connect, I think is huge in our business. I think listening is a learned skill and active listening and listening in a way that you are understanding what the person is supposed to be trying to give to you so that you're receiving it rather than trying to respond to it. That's such a hard thing to learn. Well, I want to like, jump in. I want to answer you before you yeah. finish. I saw that. <laughs> you know, it's like, let me tell you, but you can't, you gotta, you gotta listen. You're so right. One of the things that Vicki always trains our success team to do, I thought that was such a cool part of their training is try to listen so that you're not answering the question they're asking. You're answering the next question they're going to ask, anticipate what they're going to need to know and be answering two questions at once. And I just, that's such a cool listening skill. Uh, the other thing, John, I want to ask you about is, okay, we're doing this recording. Uh, it's going to be an audio presentation, but we're doing it on Zoom. We're all living on Zoom. How has our Zoom era and being all of selling, all of recruiting, now being done remote like this, how's it changed communication? You know, it's a, it's a great question, David, because the people who have embraced technology, they'll tell you they're having better and more effective communications using an electronic method like a Zoom or a Teams than they were when they were meeting face-to-face -face because it's a, it's a focused situation. I mean, you think about the three of us right now because we're on camera. I can see if you're looking at me, if you're engaging, if you're distracted, your eye movement and upper body movement in a call like this, man, I can tell real quick whether or not we're actually communicating back or forth. But if I was in your office, it'd be like, David, oh, oh, Buffalo Bills. Oh, cool. Oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> hey, we can say that now. <laughs> yeah, it's like you like to ride a bike. You know, I mean, all of a sudden you see all these distractions around you. And then who you're selling to has their natural distractions that are really hitting them. But now, and quite frankly, even with working remote, it really has changed the way we communicate. The challenge is, is getting them to get, a, to get a hold of them because it's much harder to reach you now. But once I do, when I connect like this, I can have a very, very effective conversation. So that's a really interesting challenge because I know so many, particularly in light industrial staffing, so many people sell or have sold by walking in the door, sometimes walking right into the, the loading bay and jumping up into the warehouse to see what's going on. So how are you, how is Express teaching people to deal with the challenge of selling in this environment? Well, you know, it's a great, another good question, David. We, we as an organization that really hit everybody hard and it hit us hard because we, we do still have an in-person sales force and we really stu still do in-person sales but in some markets, and depending on where you are in the country, even as of now, as we're speaking today, it's still locked down. Mm -hmm. You as a sales rep, you're not going to get in the door. And what we found with our sales folks is those that were like, wait a minute, I can still do this. It's just a different method. Okay, I'm going to make 100 phone calls versus 100 door knocks. And wait a minute, I can still make it happen. So those that actually embraced what was happening versus fighting what was happening, 
found it not to be all that bad. And then there were some that, though, I tell you, they wanted to get back out so bad because they're they're that in-person you know type of a person. The challenge is the clients, if they're not ready for you to come back, then this is what we're doing. And so what about back to the active listening and trying to respond and anticipate where they want to go? Just because I might be ready to go come in your back door and come and jump in the plant and see you. <laughs> they're like, time out. No, you're not. And so that that's probably been one of the biggest adapters is the folks that are adjusting to the clients versus our way of always doing things. So do you think you can train that that ability to change, accept change, and embrace new things? Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a, You guys are asking me some really good questions today. I love <laughs> this. Um, those are trained skills if the person has the right mindset to accept coaching and training. It's that person who just is dead set, this is the only way it can be done. You're not going to change that person's mindset. And they're just going to be bent on this is the way it has to be done. But I think what we did is, you know, because so many of our folks are kind of they're early in their career, mm-hmm. you're kind of like you don't know what you don't know. And so I think the harder thing is actually those of us who have been doing it a long time for us to embrace a new way of doing things. Because we know the old way and the old way works. But what if the new way is better? What if it's more successful? But I don't know that. I haven't been there yet. We had that exact situation. So we have our leadership team that gets together for quarterly meetings to plan our rocks. So we use entrepreneurial operating system and we we plan our rocks. Um, During the pandemic, we clearly had to be remote. So we couldn't meet face-to-face. And Vicky got us set up with tools to use during the meetings. And then we're getting to the point where like, well, we can go back to getting together in person. But for a lot of these meetings, we're now more productive by not being in the same room because we can still collaborate. We can brainstorm together. We can do all the same things, but we're electronically taking notes and we're building on each other's ideas while we're all remote. Now, I still want to get back together because I'm still sort of the old school guy, but <laughs> the tools have completely changed the game. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about the fact if, if um, we were, sh- if I were making a sales call to you all today, my presentation would be on the screen. I'd do a screen share and mm-hmm. I'd go live into a document, live into a program, live into something. And literally we could build something together. Where before, you know what, I'd give you a piece of paper and say, here, review, review this pamphlet, review this piece, review this. Now it's interactive. I mean, you literally can, can just, you know, share. And then I think the big thing right now is we come out of this, this time, it's still using technology, but maybe it's not the video. Maybe it's still Zoom or Teams without a camera turned on because of the Zoom and, and Teams fatigue. Where, you know, I've had people go, look, I'm having a bad hair day. And I'm like, look, I'm just glad I have hair, you know, <laughs> so I'm not worried about a bad hair day. But there are other people who I lost that long hair. ago. <laughs> yeah, but it's, 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 it's that adaption of going, wait a minute, I don't have to go back to what I was doing. Kind of to your point about how technology has made us much more efficient. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of morphing into, OK, so maybe I don't have to be on screen and we got to have the Brady Bunch going on, but I can still share a screen and I can still share technology. And do stuff interactive. Sure. The first thing I do now with Zoom is I turn off my self view and it makes it so much easier. 
And I know there's a, some new um, technology coming out and may already be available where you can sit in the same room on Zoom instead of the you know, individual pictures. So, I mean, just cool things that are happening because, you know, Zoom recognizes Zoom fatigue and we have to do the same kind of thing, right? What, what is this technology doing to our team and how can we adapt? Yeah. yeah I've heard some companies that are, are suggesting to employees, turn Zoom on without the video, but with the audio and with your coworkers, not to sell, not do anything, but the water cooler talk, the, the occasional, I need help that disappears when you're remote that's one trick to adding it back in like leave it off in a second window but if i need help with something click my mic on or and just say hey i'm struggling anybody got a minute to help and now yeah. your team can be remotely collaborating just like you're yelling over the wall of the cube yeah we do that with teams you know the way we're using our teams with the different groups we have set up we'll chat throughout the day on that and we'll we'll get a whole string of things going and then when somebody does have a wait, this is more than what I want to type. Then they just click the connect button. And, you know, we have a quick conversation and sometimes we'll turn cameras on, sometimes we won't. But sometimes it's just that quick connection, you know, because again, kind of back to communication. I have this, this pet peeve of mine where I use the phone or in person to share something, to acknowledge something beyond the front end. And, and email has always been my verification. And I don't lead with, with email. I lead with my voice and lead with my body and my in-person interaction. And then email is always my verifier. Well, now with technology, with what we have going on, everybody wants to lead with email. And when they don't pay attention or you're not getting what you think you need, they start using caps and bold. <laughs> and then if you really don't pay attention, it turns red. You know, if you're looking good, you might get a little green in there or you might get a little picture now, you know, so people will throw that in. But it's like, if I get two strings going back and forth in an email or a chat on Teams where it's a long type, I'm like, pick up, pick up, click the button, click the microphone button. Hey, David, before I spend another 10 minutes trying to draft what I'm going to tell you in 30 seconds, let's just have a quick call. Right. And, and it's so much more effective than, you know, doing that. And again, we all have our own styles of communication and where I'm much more natural on a phone Others are much more natural behind a keyboard or, or texting. You know, we, we have, we've done deals this past year where it all happened via text. <laughs> wow. I mean, whoever thought that in the day and age we live, you would make a direct hire placement and your primary communication between candidate and client would be done via text messages. <laughs> well, the generation that's coming up and getting hired into those roles, they're more comfortable in that situation. I watch it with our children. They're, they're just much more comfortable texting than they are talking. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll, they'll default to that as a lead. We've made placements this year where nobody met each other until they started. Oh my it was all done <laughs> over Zoom or Teams or over the phone, but there was literally no interaction. And there, and there are some senior level positions and it was just done via technology because of what was happening. So do you think the in-person interview will come back or it's going to, by and large, stay remote as we get beyond COVID? You know, it's, it's, it's an, another really good question. I think it's a challenge for us in staffing is think about your effectiveness and your time management. You know, how much time does it take to bring a person into the office, sit in the front lobby, go through the process of filling out this, filling out that, waiting for you to, to talk to them. And then you got to do what you're doing with them. And then you talk longer than you probably would over video because they're there. 
And, and so then you spend time, longer time with people you shouldn't because you feel like you <laughs> are obligated to. So I think a lot of companies, as you go through and kind of analyze, wait a minute, we're getting more interviews. We're having better interviews. We're getting more information quickly. I'm much more efficient this way. Maybe I don't need to see them until right before we're going to put them out on an assignment or put them out in an interview process. And then we'll get together. Maybe if it's for paperwork purposes, if they're not on, on an eDocs platform where they can do everything electronically, maybe there'll be some of that. But I, I don't know. I, I tend to believe everything can be done now, just like we're having this conversation. Um, point and click. Make it happen. Absolutely. Let's um let's pivot a little bit. One of the things that you told us about uh, getting ready for today's show was just a belief you have of being all that you say you are. Could you explain that a little bit? <laughs> so you know one of one of the challenges, and we'll, I'll start on the candidate side of our business. One of the challenges we have, I think, as an industry is. We're called recruiters, we're called placement specialists. You know, we, we focus on finding people careers and jobs and all that. But the number one complaint from candidates are is we're known as the one and done industry. <laughs> you called me one time for one position, I went on one interview, I had one assignment, and we don't have this commitment to moving a person through their career or even following up with a really good candidate that just because I couldn't place you today, doesn't mean I can't place you 30, 60, 90 days, or maybe three years from now. That blows people's mind when I go, some of my best placements, I talked to that candidate for three years before they got placed. <laughs> but I didn't have to run, I didn't have to run postings. I didn't have to run ads back in the day because I kept in touch with candidates. And I would have candidates tell me, John, you're the only recruiter that I've talked to more than once. And I'm like, how many recruiters have called you? They go, thousands. Seems so obvious, but. Yeah, it does. You know, it, it, to me, on the Canada side, you know, it's huge. I heard recently my son is in, uh, is in IT and uh, he's got a pretty significant role uh, in his company. He gets about 20 in-mails a day from IT recruiters, just bombarded with in-mails. And he, we were together last weekend. I said, so um, how many people call you? He goes, zero. I don't get phone calls. And I'm like, would you take a call? He goes, I would take a call. I may not be able to talk at work because of the environment that he's in. But I get people who continually bombard me with emails and they're trying to match me with jobs via email messages. And I'm like, you're kidding me. He goes, no, they just, they will not pick up the phone and call me. And I'm like, wow. So if we're going to be a recruiter, being all we are, it's like, if you're good enough to have a first interview and I say, you know what, Victoria, I think I can work with you. I'm not sure if the current positions I have now are going to be good or right, but let's keep in touch. What's a good time frame for me to follow up with you? And you tell me two weeks, two years, it doesn't matter what you say. I should put you in a tickler system because we all have software that will let you not forget things if you'll use it and say, you know what, I'm going to call you back and then call you when you say that you're going to call them. And, and I think being a recruiter, it's about relationships. Mm -hmm. It's not about placements. And we've, we've start, we stop thinking about, about that value to the candidate when we just think about, oh, I got to get this filled. I got to get this filled. I got to get this filled. But we have hundreds of opportunities to fill, but there's not hundreds of available candidates. It's a candidate type market, right? So, so the candidate side is one. The client side, 
we say yes to a lot of things we should have said no to, <laughs> you know, and we, t- we take a lot of orders and we take a lot of things that we say, oh man, yeah, we can do this where it would have been better for me to say, David, you know what? I really appreciate this opportunity, but based upon what you've given me and what I currently am working on today, I have to be honest with you, you're going to go down to the bottom of my list. And I'm not sure I can meet your needs and expectations based upon what's happening. You know, they come back and say, well, what, what do I have to do to, to, to make it rise to the top? Well, guys, that's what we do in sales. We start talking about what you can do to make a difference. And maybe they can raise it up. Or maybe they're just a client that right now, I can't help you right now based upon these parameters. So I think we have to be honest with the candidate and honest with the, with the client. And I also think we need to just really be setting expectations of how we work together. Here's who I am. Here's what I do. Here's how we work together. And then be that. And don't just, just don't, don't just have a job by title, but really live it and breathe it. It all sounds so simple. And it's a little bit kind of old school, I would say. <laughs> but it's sort of that consideration and being open for other people and treating people the way you want to be treated, right? The golden yeah. rule. Yeah. How is that any different, right? So go ahead, David. You were going to ask a question. No, go ahead. No, it's fine. All right. So one of the things that, that we talk to our team about is being outwardly versus inwardly focused. And so much of the time, individuals are inwardly focused, thinking about what's the impact of this on me? How does it change my life? Do I get what I want? And if you're in sales, you know, you're paid on outcomes. If you're in recruiting, you're paid on outcomes. So it's very easy to become inwardly focused, but a relationship focused person is outwardly focused. So John, you know, do you see that inward versus outward in the industry? And if so, how do people become more outward? You know what, David, they, they ought to, they ought to become a marketer, not a salesperson. You know, you, you think about your business. I think about all the stuff that you guys put together, right? It's all about how the client receives that and reads that. And so we think about on the marketing side, man, there, we got to be thinking what's in it for them. What's in it for them. And we, we do that when we think marketing, but we go to sales and we go, all right, come on, close the deal. Come on. This is 20. I get 10% commission on this one. I get 20% commission. Ooh, this is going to help me buy that boat that I want to get this spring. And all of a sudden we become inward on the sales side versus we were so outward on the marketing side. We were so you know enticing to them to pull them in, but then it, then it became all about us. And I think if we, if our, if our efforts followed our marketing efforts and we were who we said we were on those brochures or those electronic <laughs> gifts and gadgets and all the things we send to people, I think it totally changed the way they think about us. Is that the nature of sales though? And the salespeople and what makes them good at what they do? It is. It is. I mean, they're, they're money motivated, right? They're, they're really driven to that success, you know? And, and I think as, as owners trying to help folks see that, is we got to frame it around what's bigger than just the number, what's behind the number. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, it's what's the, the residual part of staffing can be so lucrative if you win a client for life versus placing a job order today. And man, does that make a big difference when all of a sudden it's like, wait, you know what? I'm getting business. I've had clients for 15 years now. Look at this. Well, guess what? That revenue generator becomes natural. But they didn't do it. When you look at those folks who did it, they didn't do it when they made it about them. They made it about the client. And that's why the client keeps coming back. 
right back to caring about that person and the purpose of what you're doing. Yeah. 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 yeah it's also about that lifetime relationship. I mean, you're talking about, you know, what's the value of that client over, over 10 or 15 years. I remember back in the AOL CD mailer days, you know, we, we were all making necklaces and door frames and whatever else out of the, the 10,000 CDs we got. It used to cost AOL something like $270 to acquire a customer. And the reason that they struggled is they then calculated the lifetime value of the customer on average was 140. But for a staffing company, if you think about that person who did, even if it's a short-term temporary placement, you knock it out of the park, you maintain the relationship, you work with that client for the next 10 years, or as you said, I'm going to try to work with that candidate for life and I'm going to assist that person throughout their career. I'm going to, if it's temp, I'm going to redeploy that person 10, 20, 30 times. Now, the gross margin you're going to produce from that relationship versus the cost of getting the relationship is an astronomical return on investment. But I don't think most people look at it that way. It's, they do look at it as one and done. Yeah. But it's funny, I'll date myself because back, back in the day when I was working the light industrial desk, we used to have this, we sat with four desks in the middle, we had this lazy Susan with a Acme visual file that would literally spin around with the drawers that would come out <laughs> and we'd pull people's names on cards. And you know, we'd, you know, LM, cause I was calling you left a message or if I talked to you, TT did this, this or whatever. And because I was wired to just go, 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 go. And I was, and I was good with numbers. I would memorize your phone number. And so I would have my 10 or 15 associates that were ones I developed a relationship with. And so when I got an order in, hey, I need four guys second shift, I start pounding out the phones and I'm like, got it, we're done. <laughs> and my coworkers would go, you didn't spin the drawers. I mean, how did, how did you make that? How did you do that? And I'm like, well, I had their phone numbers memorized and I, and I attached the phone with the person but what I did, and I didn't realize it at the time, I would put people out on 15, 20, 30 assignments. And, and you know what? They became that associate for life because they knew that when this one was done, John was going to find him something else. And so I just realized it was a whole lot faster to make a placement with somebody I knew than to go do a job posting and pray that somebody good responds to my posting and chase the new person all the time versus really developing relationships with the people I've already interviewed. Yeah, but everybody loves to run the post and get the new candidates in because I don't know, is it more, maybe it's more effort to do the search or maybe more effort to memorize the, the phone number or the email address. But as an industry, we're always about new. We want the latest and greatest because it's the most active candidate. And I don't have to convince someone to go back out on an assignment or to take the next job. I'm not, I'm not sure the rationale. Hey, before we run out of time, John, um, one of the other things you wanted to talk about was the, the importance of staying focused. So let's chat a little bit about why that's important to you. The staffing business, especially on the temporary side of our business, you walk in the door at whatever time your, your office opens, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., all it takes is one phone call and a whirlwind takes place. You know, and being in here in the Midwest, I just call it the tornado comes. And all of a sudden that thing is just spinning. And before you know it, you're running and it's just go, 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 go. And if you're not careful, on the temporary side of the business, your day will get away from you in a heartbeat. And so that ability to start your day with a plan and know that, hey, this is what I'm going to accomplish today. 
and it, and I heard it. I heard a term this past week. I, I wish it was mine. It was someone else's. Um, but they called it, it's more about priority management than time management. And I went, man, that is a really good statement because it is managing your priorities. You know, so what is it that's closest to the money? What's most important to the candidate? What's most important to the client? If those two win, then I win. And it's really focusing on that, especially when your world is just going crazy with all the stuff that's happening. And then on the direct hire side, you better have a plan to create a whirlwind because you're, you're walking into a lake that has no motion and there's no wind. And you can just sit by the dock and not go anywhere if you're not careful where you got to create that energy on the direct hire side so you can get going and get someplace. But you only do that with a plan. And again, we've all heard this a hundred thousand times in our careers. You got to plan your work and work your plan, you know, but it's such a true statement that if you don't walk in with a goal and a direction of where you're going to go that day, you're just going to kind of wander around and it's all about focus. It really is. Well, tying it back to the beginning, you know, the, that issue with communication. So I'm, I think he's going to laugh when I say this. I am probably the most guilty of having a difficult time staying focused. So when you're online, you know, you can set the daily plan, but emails open. I'm working on something, bing, 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 bing. My kids are texting me, bing, 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 bing. Pretty soon I'm like, how'd it get to be lunchtime? I haven't even started the project I came in here to work on. Then you have lunch and how'd it get to be the end of the day? So how do you help people to become better at staying focused given the distraction-filled world we live in? <laughs> oh, they're going to love my answer on this one. Never, you guys won't have me back after this one. <laughs> Turn your outlook off. No dings, no rings, no pop-ups. Turn outlook off. And, you know, there's this thing on the telephone called a do not disturb button. <laughs> And what always amazes me, and I'm, I, I want to be careful when I say this, but how often do your candidates or clients answer your phone call when you call them? How many of them immediately respond with an email within 30 seconds after getting it? They don't. We live in a world where the immediacy happens with texting, obviously. But you send an email, it might be a day or two, a week, a month before you get an email back. I've chased people on voicemail till that till I get the message their voicemail is full, you know, <laughs> and so they don't respond right away. So that doesn't give us the right to do that, but it also doesn't make us have to sit there and just read my outlook going, oh, oh boy, okay, wait, I know it's coming. Wait, make it send receive because I know it, it's going to be here. And before you know it, you just wasted five minutes watching your send receive, right? <laughs> but now here's the thing, when I say turn off outlook, and hit your phone on do not disturb. The only way you can do that and win with your clients and candidates is every voicemail, every email needs to be returned before you go home that day. So if I turn my phone I mean, off for an hour so I can stay focused and I get six voicemails that came in in that hour, before the end of business, they're going to get a call back. Now, my end of business might not be till six o'clock that night, but they're going to get a voicemail on their phone that at 5.55, I am so sorry, David, I tried to get you back before five. I'm wrapping up my day. I wanted to get back to you. I got your voicemail. Can we talk first thing tomorrow morning? I'm open between the hours of 7.30 and nine tomorrow. 
and here's my direct dial number, please reach me here, right? I mean, if you, if you turn yourself off, then you got to turn yourself on and make yourself available. And then part of that is even when you think about doing those things, there's a time of day where I don't book anything. I'm booked on my outlook. So nobody can schedule anything, but that hour that's booked, it's actually for people to call me because I'm hoping I get return phone calls. I'm hoping I get emails that, that respond that I need, I need to make a phone call and respond back to them. So I actually block time in my day that people think I'm booked, but I'm, I'm actually blocking myself to be available. Love that. You totally speak in my language. That's exactly what we try to teach our team to do is block time in their calendars for specific work and to return calls and voicemails every single day. But to have the discipline about that, of turning it off, because it really comes down to discipline. You're not going to have the willpower, so you need to have the mindset, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to control my own life. I'm going to set my one priority. I'm going to get that done, and then I will do the next thing. And uh, David's making faces because <laughs> I'm the worst at it. He doesn't really model that behavior. <laughs> but and you know, and that's and that's tough because as owners of businesses and folks, I mean, we're so busy with everything, it's hard for us sometimes to actually model that and do that. And I, I tease people. I say, look, why don't you create a contest or awards around doing it? Because everybody wants to win a contest or win an award. Okay. The first person that shuts their outlook off and I come by and it's not at your, it's not on during this hour, you're, you get a ticket to go into this raffle, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to see all the voicemails and I want to see that you call them back by the end of the day, right? I mean, you, you almost have to make it a fun game and do it for a month. Habits take 21, 28, somewhere in that range, depending on who you are to make it happen. So you got to do it for a month. Habits are hard to break. Are you listening, David? What? <laughs> no, I'm thinking about the next question I need to answer. You know, <laughs> no, no. get this active listening. <laughs> uh, speaking of, though, I do have a couple of final questions because you've got some great war stories. You've been in this industry a long time. So share with our audience a favorite war story. So favorite, favorite war story. I, we were working with a very, very large company. And um, they were an absolute pain in the butt to work with. And so we fired them as a client and said, you know what? I know there's literally hundreds of openings, but we're not going to work with you. And then about six months later, one of our contacts at a different company said, hey, by the way, I'm going to go to work over here as a controller. And we're like, no, <laughs> no, please. You're not, you're, you're my contact over here and we like you and you're going to the dark side and really we don't want that to happen. And so he left, went down to this company that we fired. And then I don't know, probably another four or five months into it, he called us back. He goes, look, I got seven openings and I really want you guys to help. And, you know, we're two guys in a phone in Kansas city working with a large international, I mean, one, one of the top, privately held companies in the country. And I said, look, you know, we, we can't work with you guys. You're a pain in the butt. He goes, oh, I know. I went through the process. I, I, I know what you're talking about. That's why I'm calling you. And I said, I'd, I'd love to help you, but look, you're, we, we can't change the way they do business. He goes, would you be willing to come down here and tell our leadership team what, what, you, what you know? And I went, turned to my business partner and I said, hey, we're invited down to go tell a bunch of executives at a 
really, really large, like multi-billion dollar company, how bad they are. And uh, he goes, you're kidding. I'm like, yeah, we should do it. What do we have to lose? We fired them, <laughs> right? So we spent a day with eight of their senior leadership and just told them everything that was wrong with their system and their process. Wow. And I got a call two days later from one of their executive VPs and he goes, I won't repeat what he said because he was he pretty, pretty straightforward. He goes, nobody's ever had the guts for you to tell us what you just told us. And he goes, I have to tell you, you were right. And we know it, but we didn't want to hear it. And I went, well, thank you. I guess that's a compliment, right? You know, I mean, you're still not hiring me. Well, then his next words were, we want you to design a solution for us to work with outside recruiters. Nice. Oh, okay. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting here with my business partner going, what did I just get us into? <laughs> I mean, no way. We have to design a solution. So fast forward the story. We went in there, they fired over 20 people in their HR department because they were just way oversaturated with recruiters. They had a terrible ATS system. Their intake process was a mess. And we signed a nice five-figure monthly retainer for my time. Plus they agreed to a full fee. Mm -hmm. And if we filled positions within 30 days of posting, we got a 5% bonus. And we took a client that we fired because they were that bad into a phenomenal relationship, had a blast with them until the recession hit. And then all of a sudden when the recession hit, they were like, look, we can't do this monthly retainer. You know, our positions went from hundreds down to, you know, single digit type numbers. But so here's the deal. We won't do the retainer, but we will still pay you a full fee and we will still pay you a bonus every time we have a hire. Okay. It's a nice situation. That was that was that was that was my biggest war story turned into a success story, but it was a lot of work, but a lot of fun. Never forget it. Yeah, but it comes right back to your very first thing, communication, right? You were willing to have that conversation. You were and they were willing to listen. Yeah. So it yeah. turned around. Yeah. And I was, as you were saying that, I was thinking, wow, I wish somebody would come into our business and tell us everything we're doing wrong. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. <laughs> Maybe I'm a masochist. I don't know. <laughs> but I would love to know. <laughs> so, John, right now there's, we're kind of facing one of the weirdest times we've ever faced in the industry. I, at least, but that's my feeling. This, the, the way the labor market is working right now, coming out of coronavirus, the all the issues in society that's going on. As you fast forward and you look at you know, the industry getting back on track, what do you think is the most important key to success for our industry in the next few years? I'm going to go back to how we started. It's going to be all about your relationships. If you're not working with the best organizations and best meaning they're, they've got a good culture, a good environment, their jobs are attractive, they're putting, they're putting things in place that's going to grab those best people. If you're not working with those companies, you're going to have a hard time filling jobs because we're going to really become short on candidates like we, like we aren't already. Mm -hmm. On the candidate side, if we don't develop that relationship and become something besides another voice, or we let AI take over because AI can do a lot of the basic stuff of what we do, but they'll never be able to do the interaction that we're doing right, right here, right now, mm -hmm. right? AI will never do that. You've got to have such strong relationship with candidates to be able to get them in front of those clients that look really good. 
Because if you're not that, they'll do it on their own. They'll, they'll let AI take them to the other companies. And so I think the service deliverables and kind of back to my top three things, if you're not a good communicator, you're not open, honest, ethical, you're really at the top of the game and you're not focused, you're going to get taken, taken by the wayside. We're seeing that with that quote gig economy with the ways that you can pick up transactional business. That'll continue to happen for people who are just transactional. You got to be relational. And so you got to change that, that focus. Awesome. Love it. Well, John, thank you so much. Um, I was trying to keep up with my notes to all the great advice that you shared. Really appreciate you taking the time to come on and chat with Vicki and I. Oh, it's been a blast. I, I so appreciate you guys inviting me. We'll have to do this again sometime. Oh, we'd love that. It would be great. It was really great to meet you. Nice meeting you as well. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks. Appreciate thanks. it. I, I so appreciate you guys inviting me. We'll have to do this again sometime. Oh, we'd love that. It would be great. It was really great to meet you. Nice meeting you as well. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks. Appreciate thanks. it. So, Vicki, that was fun. Uh, I know it was really your first time getting to talk to John in depth. What'd you think of him? What a smart guy. Really, really um, interesting perspective. And I really love what he said about the communication and being focused and having integrity and being what you say. But I felt a little guilty about getting in the middle of your bromance. Gee. <laughs> Sorry, you know, we go way back. I guess. <laughs> I had no idea. So what was your biggest takeaway? Um, my, my biggest takeaway was it came from the story told the end and sort of the lesson we hear people say all the time, like don't say yes to things you shouldn't say yes to. But then John punctuated it by saying, be honest. And his example of when he worked with that large client and he went to senior management at a multi-billion dollar company and said, this is how it is. I can't imagine what that felt like when you're a two-person company telling this giant organization, you're doing it wrong. But then to have that come around and the company says, you, know, you guys are the only ones who were honest. And as John said, we had nothing to lose. You know, if, if they're a bad company, we don't wanna work with them. So what do we have to lose by telling them how to be a good company? It makes us consultative. And in this case, gave them a huge very proper relationship by being honest. That was my, my number one. How about you? I loved that story. And the way it turned around, I thought that was just amazing. And I wasn't joking when I said, I wish someone would come into our business and tell us what we do wrong, because so often people aren't willing to give you feedback to give, um, you know, we, for example, our success team, they always ask for feedback and, oh, it was good. It was good. That doesn't help us grow. So that communication, that being honest, that being okay with telling somebody and having those hard conversations. It just builds that relationship and it comes back down to the communication, the relationship and the being who you say you are and that integrity. And that was throughout the entire conversation that we were having. And that I, that's probably the overall theme that, that came out for me. But I think when he was talking a little bit about um, the, you, you, you've rephrased it as outward versus inward focus, but being focused and maintaining your focus and um, really becoming a marketer versus a salesperson. Did that hit home for you? I thought that would probably. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, you know, I wrote down, John didn't say it, but I wrote down a value proposition. You know, we're doing marketing strategy. We talk about figuring out your messaging, 
Here's my differentiators. Here's how I want to be positioned. And here's my value proposition, how what I do delivers value for the client, for the candidate. We think about that, put it into the website, put it into the brochure. And then we tell the salesperson recruiter, make 200 calls this week. Mm -hmm. How are we telling them to live value proposition when we're telling them just make a zillion calls, go as fast as you can. Oh yeah. And generate results. Of course, they're going to become inwardly focused. They can't help it. It's so incredibly true. So we need to think about, you know, how are we incenting people and what are we expecting out of them? And, and you have this asset, you have this ATS full of all these people that if you just built relationships with, they know other people, there's, we didn't even talk about referrals and all of that, but if you can build those relationships and really care about the person and think about them first, that, that ends up being better for everybody. So, and I guess I really appreciate it. You're not keying on the fact that I'm a lousy listener. Uh, <laughs> very much appreciated. I, I guess the, the only other thing that I really wanted to point out was all the change and the technology and how if you embraced it and you had the mindset that this could be better, that change actually could be a new way and, and that's okay. I know so many people are struggling with the changes we've dealt with and how difficult our world has been. But if you look back, it really has been some positive change that came out of it if you were open to it and you're willing to have that. And I think for the staffing industry, there really are many more opportunities now than there were pre-COVID. And a lot of that is due to all that change. Yeah, I thought it's, it's comment about you know, not letting the AI take over and focusing on relationships. And, and I see a lot of success right now for some companies, particularly in healthcare staffing, that are going the app-based, that are going to be that, that Uber, the on-demand version of staffing. I saw IA Healthcare at the executive forum and Snap Nurse. They're growing yeah. like crazy with service-free customer service. But the other end of the spectrum is the companies that need consultative approaches to how to hire, how to do a set of workforce plan, how to get the right talent. Not letting the AI take over is figuring out where do I add value? And I know we talked um, with Susan and Jeff on the show about automation. And the whole time on that show, I'm thinking about the concept of economic value added, which is how businesses can measure the performance of various aspects of the organization. Well, as a recruiter, where's your economic value added? As a salesperson, where's your economic value added? If you're doing transactional stuff, AI is going to replace you. Mm-hmm. If you're adding value in the relationship, helping that client go to the next hire, the next hire, how to grow, how to structure their teams, you're the career coach for that candidate for life, you're not going to get displaced and you're going to have a strong future in this industry. I think that's a really great place to wrap it because that's such a powerful statement and it's what we all need to be thinking about right now. Awesome. Well, then we'll wrap it up right there. Uh, To everyone in our audience, thank you so much for listening to today's show and we hope to see you on a future episode of Secrets of Staffing Success. Success. Success.